Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Well, well, grab a hand. We're going to pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for Chris. I'm, I'm getting to you. We're getting there. And Lord, thank you for this congregation and all the people who are watching us, Bethel TV. And just thank you for Christ, for the masses, Christmas, New Year's. Just thank you for being a, all of us just being here and, and for life and for everything you're doing for us. And just the way you're working behind the scenes and you're doing things in our lives we don't even know you're doing. So many times saving our lives blessing us when we don't even know it's you. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, God, for, for all you've done for us. And we pray tonight, God, you would just bless your people tonight. Amen. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, I, I have a, a message I've shared before, and, uh, but I, I, I kind of want to interweave it with uh, what I see going on. For, um, I, don't, I don't know if this is going to be a prophetic message for 2020. Uh, I, I just feel like there's a, a something I'm supposed to stimulate in people. And I want to talk about uh, creating tipping points in our lives. And, um, and I, I really got inspired by a book called uh, The Tipping Point. How many of you read it? Uh, it it's not a Christian book. I, I mean, it's, it's not a non-Christian book, but I mean, it's, it's not a Christian book. So um, I don't remember if there's any cuss words in there. I have to say that because sometimes I recommend something and I'm like, I read it so long ago. I remember I was recommending a movie and Bill was in the front row. I don't know if you remember, it was maybe five, six years ago. I wasn't recommending the movie. I was quoting something from a movie. And, 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 uh, but I had watched it on the plane. And I don't know if you know this, but on, on the plane they edit out sex scenes and, and, and it, the really bad cuss words. Well, I had watched it on the plane, and, and, and Bill evidently knew that, like, that was not a great movie. And he, and he whispers to me from the front row, you must have watched that on the plane. I'm like, then I realized immediately, like, oh, that must not be a great movie. And so then I said to everyone, and don't, don't watch that movie. That's a really bad movie. <clears throat> but uh, uh, I, I really like Mac, Mac, Malcolm Gladwell, and, and I really encourage you to read the book Tipping Point. I think it's a great book, and... He talks about uh, how, you know, obviously the title. He talks about how things tip in history. And it's a really intriguing book. And it's really got, uh, from my perspective, it's got a lot of kingdom principles in it. And, and let me just begin with Jeremiah chapter 5. Uh, I'll, I'm going to read you quite a few verses. Verse 1, God is speaking uh, through Jeremiah. And he says, Roam to and fro throughout the streets of Jerusalem, and look now and take note. And seek in her open squares, if you can find a man, if there is one, one who does justice and who seeks truth, I will pardon her. It's kind of a, uh, a sister verse to the Second Chronicles 16.9. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Let me read that again. I love that verse. The eyes of the Lord go, move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose hearts 
are completely his. And I, and I want to just begin by saying that all of us are, all of us think with an accent. I, I mean, it's it just like you talk with an accent. You, like, you don't know you have an accent until you meet somebody who has a different one, right? I, I remember uh, going to Scotland. I'm like, I don't, what, what language do you guys speak here? Anybody, are you anyone from Scotland? God bless you. What did you do to the English language? I, I just love listening to the Scottish uh, talk. I, I don't get them much. But I remember I went to Scotland and I was preaching there. And then they had a question and answer with the leadership uh, with about 50 leaders. Um, so we were in this room. And they were asking questions, and I was supposed to answer them. And honest to God, after like the second question, I'm like, I need a translator. So I literally brought somebody up and said, can you tell me what he just said? You know? It's like, you don't actually know you have an accent until you encounter somebody with a different one. And then who, has, who do you think has the accent? Yeah, they do. Like, right? Whoever talks different than me, they have the accent, right? And, and, and the truth is, is that we actually think with an accent. Um, and we don't know it. Like, we actually think with an accent. Like, we actually, if you were raised in, uh, in, a, in a dictatorship, you kind of have, you don't know it, but it, it shapes the way you see people, the way you see God, the way you think things should happen. And for most of us in this room, probably all of us, we are raised in democracies, most of us. And so we, we kind of have this idea that um, it's common to think, Majorities make things happen. Uh, you know, the majority votes, votes, votes in the president, the, our governor, our mayor. It's like we have votes and we, we kind of think that in order for something to happen, something big to happen, it takes a lot of people. Like we need, we need, a, we need to kind of get consensus and we say things like, like I don't think they're wrong, follow me, but we say like if we could just get all the churches together. If we get everybody on the same page, and I don't think it's wrong, I'm not saying it's wrong, but, but it, it, it kinda does create a little bit of powerlessness in that I can't really do anything by myself, I gotta wait till everybody gets on the same page. And I'd like to propose to you, first of all, and, and, and follow me, I'm not just trying to encourage you, this is a theological statement. God is not president of presidents. On purpose, he is king of kings. Meaning, he didn't get voted in. He didn't get there by popular vote. No, no, I understand this could be like, maybe really encouraging or just sound like I'm trying to be encouraging. I'm actually trying to make a point. Like, God is king. You're not, you're not the son of a president, a daughter of a president. You're the daughter of a king which makes you automatically royalty, right? Just because your dad's president doesn't make you royalty, but if your dad's king, you are automatically royalty. And so what it means is, is that God makes a decree, and when God makes a decree, he isn't like, okay, what do the people want? Okay, Gabriel, go down and take a census. God don't think like that. He thinks, what do I want? What's best for the people? How many of you know, people don't always know what's best for them. I mean, how many of you have little children? I mean, what would they eat if you like, 
What a Johnny, what would you like to eat today? Ice cream? You had that yesterday for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. How about we give you candy today? Oh, I take candy. I mean, how many know that what's best for people, they don't always know what's I'd say for you and I, isn't it good that God doesn't answer all of our prayers? Sometimes when God doesn't answer your prayer, that's the answer. <laughs> you have to think about that. It's very deep. My point is, is that I'd like, to, I'd like to suggest that the greatest movements in history were not started by a group of people. Usually, history is moved by a person, someone. Now, obviously, someone has to have other people gather at some point. But um, in the book Tipping Point, um, Malcolm Gladwell cites this story about a woman who was brutally raped and violently murdered in 1964 in Queens, New York. Her name was... Kitty, I think it was Gieson. And, the, you know, lots of people murdered in New York, all over the world. But what made this unique is that it happened in broad daylight, and 38 people watched for a half an hour without anyone doing anything, so much as calling the police. And so uh, some researchers went back, and they researched this particular crime and some others like it, in which nobody did anything, including even calling the police. And what they found was like really insightful. What they found is that the more people, oh, first of all, they interviewed those people, and I, I'm sorry, it's been a year since I read the book, but they actually found several of the people who were in that crowd of 38. And they asked them the question, why didn't you act? And every one of them said the same thing. I thought someone else called. And they did these experiments, and I won't go through all of them right now, but read the book. It's really, it's really, it opens with this story. What they found is the more people that view a crime, the less likely is, it is that anyone will do anything about it. As a matter of fact, if one person views a crime, now I'm going to get the statistics wrong because I, I didn't write them down, and it's, it's totally from memory. But it's like, if one person views a crime, it's like in the 90 percentile that they will act. They will try to intervene. They will make a phone call. They will do something. By the time you get to three people, it drops to the 80s. If a crowd sees a crime, it's less than 50% of the time that anyone calls because everyone thinks everyone else called. And consequently, nobody does anything. And the point that Gladwell makes is that crowds don't create tipping points. People do. There, there, there's, there's something about Kairos times, and by the way, let me say, Kairos times when divine happens when divine favor meets divine opportunity. I, I actually preached a whole series about it uh, early last year. But... Kairos moments almost always have three things in common. Like when something tips, there's almost always three things in common. Number one, there's a time of desperation. Almost always 
a kairos time when something shifts in God and good things are the outcome, almost always begins with desperate people who are in a bad situation. Uh, let me cite just a few. You'll, you'll, you'll get this right away. Gideon in Judges 6, 7, and 8, the story. The Midianites are oppressing the Israelites for seven years. This is, Gideon is about to have an angel encounter, and he's about to, culture is about to shift, and we'll talk about it in a minute, but it begins with seven years of oppression till the people get sick and tired of being oppressed. Moses, 400 years of oppression. Nehemiah, 114 years of the walls being torn down. Jesus, God sends Jesus when religion has actually, is actually the worst thing going in the world. Like, what's God designed, and I'm using religion in a good way, what God designed to actually bring life and hope to the world actually began to pollute the world, and desperation was at a peak because the Sadducees, Pharisees, all, these guys are uh, scribes. These guys are leading the righteous movement, and they're the most unrighteous people. I, I'm just pointing out that Kairos moments almost always happen, with, with, almost always begin first with desperation. Think about the civil rights movement with Martin Luther King Jr. It's, it's, it began because... People were desperate. Are you with me? Number two, there's almost always a person who gets fed up, filled up, and fired up to make a difference. Now, oftentimes, that is inspired by a God encounter. Thank you. I noticed you moved from that section to this section tonight. So. <clears throat> Almost always, history tips because a person gets fed up, filled up, and fired up to do something. And those stories go on and on. You got Gideon, we just talked about. We got Joshua, Moses, David, Josiah, Nehemiah, John the Baptist, Esther. And in modern history, you have Rosa Parks. You have people that finally say, I'm done with that. Whatever that is. Like, you pushed them to a place where it's like, I'd rather die than do this. I'm not doing this anymore. Whether it's Gideon, who is pressing out wheat in a wine press, and has an angel encounter, and the angel encounter says, Oh, great man of God, almighty oh, man of valor. And his immediate answer is, if, if I'm so great, where are all the miracles? He has come to a place in his own life where he's tired of the oppression. The, Gideon, the angel is trying to encourage him, and he's like, I'm sick and tired of this condition. I'm done with this. And it feels like God's like, that's why I came. I was waiting for you to be fed up. <clears throat> and the third thing in my mind is that there's this thing, I call it desperate hope. 
among a people. It's what happens in the in a movie scene when the bully finally gets his butt kicked by the passive kid who suddenly realizes his superpowers. It's what happens when you push somebody in a corner when his anger, and we'll say righteous anger for the sake of my sermon, <laughs> when his righteous anger overcomes his fear of the bully. We all love those movies. The, the bullies tormenting this kid, usually a skinny kid, tormenting him for weeks, months, like the karate kid. Great example. Anybody seen, remember the karate kids? Some of you were alive when that movie was out. I mean, kids beating him up, and he meets Mr. Miyagi. And we're like, what's happening? Something's about to happen because there is a holy, there is a holy, hopeful desperation. The skinny kid gets tired of being beat up and he's about to do something. I'm saying, I'm saying desperate times call for desperate measures and tippy points almost always happen when everyone goes, the world's going to hell. It's all over. And somebody steps up and goes, I'm sick of this. It ain't happening on my watch. And it's not necessarily because they're so brave. It's just that they're so desperate that they finally get this peace. And I think this peace, I don't know if I have it right in, in my articulation, but I call it desperate hope. Like, I'm mad, but I feel like I can whip that kid. I think, I listen, if I can't, I'm going to die trying, but you ain't beating me up one more time. This is it. I'm done. And history shifts in these moments. You see it over and over. It might just be in your little community, or it might be a worldwide movement. But those three things are almost always they almost always happen in that order. There's an oppression. There's a, a person who gets fed up and suddenly somebody catches a glimpse of hope. We can turn this around. It may just be one person. We can do this. It might be the Joshua, I'm sorry, the Jonathan turning to his armor bearer and going, can God save by many, but not by few? And the armor bearer goes, I don't know what you're thinking, but whatever it is, I'm with you. Just somebody creates a spark. Are you with me? I, I, I'm trying to contrast. Oftentimes we're waiting for a movement. Like we need a big people movement to do something. And yet God's like, just find somebody. Just give me anyone to work with. Just give me anyone who will stand up and go, I think we can beat this bully. And something shifts. So many great stories. I, I love history. I don't know a lot about history. I should know more. But in 1955, a 42-year-old black woman, exhausted from a hard day's work, got on a bus. You know the story. 
She gets on the bus. She's exhausted. She rides that bus five days a week. Bus is full of black people, but they have to sit always at the back. And one day, she'd already planned it. Read her diary. She had been thinking about it for months, how much she resented sitting in the back of the bus. For months. And one day, exhausted, she said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm sitting at the front of the bus. It wasn't spontaneous. It was planned. I mean, she didn't know she was going to move the earth. She just knew she was going to move her. And she got on the bus, and a white bus driver, God bless him. God bless that guy. He helped start a movement. <laughs> He's a bad guy in the movie, but. Sits in the front of the bus, and the bus driver did what every bus driver would do at that time. Let's be real. I'm sorry, ma'am. Got to sit at the back of the bus. You know the rules. She's like, I'm not moving. He asked her three times. And her, in her journal, she said, I was tired of being judged by the color of my skin instead of the content of my character. She said, I am not sitting at the back of the bus. He said the third time, if you don't move, I'm going to lock this bus down and I'm calling the police. And she said, call whoever you want, but I'm not moving. How many know what I'm getting at? Desperate times. Someone finally gets fed up and there's a glimmer of hope. I think I can beat this bully. And she refuses to move. Of course, they come, they arrest her. The rest is history. A young man by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. hears of this movement. He had already been stirring in his own heart. I I, I want to go back and say something. Um, Often the breaker, the one who causes the tipping point, is not the leader or the sustainer of the movement. Like in history, it, it's, it's common for the breaker to not be the ultimate leader or even have the, the sustainability to lead a movement. Uh, 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 a, a great example is John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the breaker. He, you know, I, I understand, if you just give me a little bit of theological grace, I understand this, this is a bigger picture than Rosa Parks. I get that. I'm pointing out that God sends a breaker. He prepares the way. He makes the crooked places straight. Everybody wants to make him, if you will, the Messiah. He's like, no, no, I'm not, no, I am the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path for the Lord. I am preparing the way for the guy who will lead the movement. In this case, obviously, the Messiah. But I'm pointing out that sometimes God sends a John the Baptist, a Rosa Parks, a somebody who doesn't have everything it takes to lead a movement, and maybe isn't even called to, but they are called to sit at the front of the bus and say, today, I'm going to get arrested. I've been thinking about it for weeks. I know where it's going. I don't know how to lead a movement, but I know one thing, I am not sitting in the back of the bus one more day. Are you with me? 
I'm saying some of you are out there, and you understand I'm not talking about Rosa Parks today. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. And you're thinking, you know, I'm not a Martin Luther King. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Joshua. You no, know, but you might be the armor bearer. You might be, hey, whatever's in your heart, if we die, we die. You, you might be the Rosa Parks. Like, I would even know what to do after I got arrested. But it's just on you to get arrested. That's a, it's a metaphoric. <laughs> let's, let's pray in America. It's, it sustains being metaphoric. But something happens. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he's a preacher. And he, he's really stimulated. He's really, he, he really inspired by Rosa Parks. I think they had a connection beforehand, if I remember, if I recall. And he just begins to preach a peaceful revolution. He really ticks off a lot of the black community who said to him, there is no such thing as a peaceful revolution. And he said, I believe there is. And a bunch of black supremacists got around him right before an incident I'm about to tell you about. And they actually said, we want you to lead us, but we do not believe that this can happen peacefully. And it was just a short time later, I think a week or two, that white supremacists blew up his house with him, his daughter, and his wife in it. And it blew the front, complete front of his house off just missing, just missing killing his family. And the, the black supremacist came immediately and said to him, I told you to no sing as a peaceful revolution. And he ignored their voices, walked out on the rubble, and preached a peaceful revolution from the front of his blown-up porch. Something in him said, I know what I'm doing. Rosa Parks began the revolution. She was, if you will, the John the Baptist, but there was a, there was a movement leader that had capacity, that could move the crowds, that could organize, that could inspire a, a, another level leader. It took someone like a Rosa Parks to be the tipping point, but it took someone like Martin Luther King to build a movement. Does that make sense? Something about the season we're in that makes this super relevant. Because I see for the last two years, we're in this Kairos moment. I mean, I, I, I like, you can't even, I don't, I don't know, if you're a Christian, you'd have to be blind to not at least feel it. I'm often like inspired, and Bill, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago he was preaching, but you know how sometimes there's something going on in you and you can feel it, then someone puts words to it, and you're like, yeah, that, that, that's what I've been telling you about, that thing right there. It's like, you don't always know what it is, but when God is moving, his spirit is in you, his spirit's in you, so his spirit's moving in you. 
You may not know what to do. You may not understand it. You can't even tell your friend what it is. But you know, like, this isn't normal. This isn't, you know, 400 years of Egyptians living in slavery. I think I shared this last week or sometime recently. 400 years of the Egyptians living in slavery. And then the 401st, they're getting released. You can imagine that 401st year felt way different. Do you, know, do you know what I'm saying? 114 years, the walls of Israel were torn down. 72 years, they tried to rebuild them. Then Nehemiah shows up. For 52 days, in 52 days, they rebuild the walls that, hadn't, that have been down for 114 years. I, I can imagine in those 52 days, something felt different. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Like I'm living in the same place with the same people, but something feels different. And I would like to propose that if you can't feel that something's different, you need to ask Jesus into your life. Because <laughs> the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully, and you can misjudge it, you can miss it, but you have to be feeling it. And people throughout history connected with these Kairos moments that created tipping places in which history is now being taking a turn and being shaped. Are you with me? And always, every time, begins with courage. Always, every time. Like, it's the one ingredient you can't leave off in a tipping point. There are people that don't have great character. It, that create tipping points. I probably won't mention them, but it, throughout history, there were lots of people that created tip points. Samson, it's a great biblical character, created a huge tipping point for Israel, had terrible morals. Now, I mean, it's like, I'm not saying it's okay, I'm not even saying. You know, it's like, I'm simply saying, sometimes in church history, sometimes we write those people out of history because we're kind of embarrassed by them. Uh, Lonnie Frisbee is a great example. The Jesus movement was, Lonnie Frisbee was the tipping point of the Jesus movement. He was the Joshua. He was the Nehemiah. He was the guy who created the tipping point. But he had moral issues. And two of the movements pretty much write him out of their history. But I'd propose to you that Solomon created tipping points, and he didn't end well. But we still read his books. Anyway. No, I expected it to be better than that, but... I'm pointing out I love Proverbs, but the guy who wrote them didn't end well. I'm definitely not saying that it's okay to not have great character. I'm simply pointing out that very few people were perfect who actually created tipping points. But one thing they all had in common is they were all courageous. Every one of them. I love the story. I've told it many times. I heard Banning tell it the first time. It's a story about Alexander the Great. I'll, I'll read it to you. 
A few centuries before Christ, Alexander the Great conquered almost all the known world with his military strength, cleverness, and diplomacy. One day, Alexander and a small company of soldiers approached a strongly defended walled city. Alexander, standing outside the walls, raised his voice, demanding to see the king. The king, approaching the battlements above the invading army, agreed to hear Alexander's demands. Surrender to me immediately, he commanded. The king laughed, why should I surrender to you? He called down, we have you far outnumbered. You are no threat to us. Alexander was ready to answer the challenge. Allow me to demonstrate why you should surrender, he replied. Alexander ordered his men to line up in single file and start marching. He marched them straight towards a sheer cliff that dropped a hundred feet, hundreds of feet below onto the rocks. The king and his soldiers watched in shock and disbelief as one by one, Alexander's soldiers marched without hesitation right off the cliff to their deaths. After the tenth soldier had died, Alexander ordered the rest of his men to stop and return to his side. The king and his soldiers surrendered on the spot to Alexander the Great. There's one thing that is common with every tipping point that I have ever studied that cannot be left out, and that's courage. I'm saying not everyone was moral, not everyone was smart, not everyone was pretty, not everyone was popular, on and on and on. But every one of them had incredible courage. You you might say, I'm not courageous. I didn't say they were fearless. I said they were courageous. There's a big difference. I've met a few fearless people, they're all crazy. Like, there's something wrong with you if you can't experience fear. It's very common. Like, God put it in our life. Like, Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Like, it, you are created to experience fear in the right way. The fear of running out in the street. The fear of jumping off a roof you shouldn't, you know, the fear. You know, it just goes on and on. Like, you're created. Fear is a, a positive motivator done right. I'm not saying that they were all fearless. I said they were courageous. I love the definition I heard many years ago. Someone once said, courage is fear that said its prayers. It means that I don't let fear tell me what to do. It doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. Read the story of Rosa Parks. She would tell you that she was full of anxiety when she sat up front. But she did it anyway. Are you with me? Philippians, uh, Paul wrote this, I can do all things through who strengthens me. This is one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus said to Paul, I think uh, Bill quoted this uh, uh, last week, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly then, therefore, I shall boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults and distress and persecutions and difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, I am strong. For when I'm weak, I am strong. Um, I think that um, strength is overemphasized in culture in the sense that we, we kind of admire the person that seems like they don't have any problems. First of all, let me tell you something. Everybody's got problems. <laughs> the rich people, 
the, the people you all admire, they're all messed up. <laughs> that's not true. They're not all messed up. Everybody has challenges. It's just part of life. You know, that's why James said, consider it all joy and you counter various trials. Everybody has trials. Everybody has challenges. The, the most perfect person that you know of behind the scenes has their own challenges. Everybody does. It's, 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 it's character building. It's part of how we connect with God. It's part of, we are more than conquerors, meaning we were, we were born with something to conquer. It's part of our, our DNA. But sometimes we disqualify ourselves because of our weakness. Uh, and we think, that we think like, uh, I'm too dumb. Or I'm too whatever. Uh, I mean, maybe you're like, think, I'm, I'm dumb. Let's just pretend you are. I mean, let's say you're dumb. Like, it's not like your, your daddy called you that, but you just are. I can't change history. I'm dumb. Have you ever heard of Samson? I mean, he was so dumb, his girlfriend tied him up three times. I mean, think about it. Like, this is dumb and dumber. She ties him up three times. He said, what's the secret to your strength? Please tell me if you really love me, you would. Please tell me. Oh, if you tie me up with these kind of ropes, I will lose my weakness. I will lose my strength. She ties him up those ropes. The Philistines are upon you. He bra- I mean, just like, really? Really? You can't tell this girl's trying to kill you after three times? Really? I mean, did you see how he found this woman? He, looks, he sees her across the way, and he's like, tells his, his, this is the quote from the Bible. Tells his parents, I like her, get her for me. This is the whole quote, get her for me. In the Hebrew it reads, get her for me. I mean, definitely not the sharpest knife in the drawer. So you're dumb. So change history. What difference does it make? (laughs) Come on, I'm just being a little funny here too. But some of you are just dumb. (laughs) I don't think you're dumb. But you know what I mean? If you are, it doesn't keep you from changing history is my point. Some of you are like, well... When I get a certain age, I'm just too young. You ever heard of Josiah? He's not old enough to cross the street by himself, but he's king. At eight. Do you know that? Do you know Joan of Arc died at 18? She died at 18. Like, anyone heard of Joan of Arc? She was dead at 18. You're like, when I get older, I'm going to change history. She changed history and was dead at 18. Alexander the Great, you know how old he is when he died? 32. I don't know if he changed history for good, but (laughs) when he died. Anyway. And not only that, but Josiah, his grandfather's name was Manasseh, and the Bible says that Manasseh, his grandfather, was the wickedest king in the history of Israel, and says there was no king more wicked before him or after him. And then it says... And his dad's name was Ammon. And it says, And Ammon walked in all the ways of his father, Manasseh. You're like, I got lineage problems. 
You live in the new covenant. This is in the old covenant. People say like, my great-grandfather was a mason. I think that's why I have all these demons. It's like, Josiah's grandfather was the wickedest person in Israel. And, he didn't, and Josiah didn't even have Jesus. And he turned an entire nation to God. And his father, grandfather was a warlock, and his father was a warlock 2.0. And the Bible doesn't even mention his father or grandfather's name. It says, and Josiah's mother was Jedidiah, and his father was David. How could his father be David? David was 400 years dead. But how many know that if you follow God, your lineage is not your parents'? I'm just trying to point out, like, here are the reasons why I can't beat the Rosa Parks. I'm like, yes, you can. Maybe you're strange. A lot of strange people follow Bill. Said it for years. He tracks them. You're like, I, I, I'm not strange. I'm misunderstood. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> we understand you. You are weird. I can't change history. I'm strange. You ever heard of John the Baptist? Do you know why the Bible describes his clothing? Do you know that his parents... Were pastors? His parents were pastors. Can you imagine your kid comes to church in camel's hair? I mean, this makes hippies look normal. This is John, and it says, and John wore, listen to this, this is the statement, and John wore camel's hair and ate locusts, and the next verse, and he preached in the wilderness. I'm not sure it's because he wanted to preach in the wilderness. I just don't think he can get a building when you wear camel's hair and eat locusts. Can you imagine your parents like, this is our son, John. Must be equal to you having your whole head tattooed in the first century. And your parents... Your dad's the high priest one year, right? He gets to go in to the Holy of Holies and encounters. That's when he has an encounter with God. And, like, and then you have a kid, and your kid's a total rebel. He wears stuff that still hasn't come into style. <laughs> and it says this. The next verse says, And all of Israel went out. Did you get that? Went out to meet him. I like this part. People are coming out to meet him, right? And here comes the Pharisees to be baptized by him. I mean, I would see it like positive. Look at this. There's a movement. It's touching the religious world. John goes, you brought of vipers. <laughs> this is parents' friends. John, they're coming to be baptized by you. I know those guys. Brought of vipers. 
Who told you to escape this judgment? I'm like, fine, I'm not getting baptized by you. <laughs> Guys, not kind. Maybe you're ugly. I mean, you're just ugly. Like, like, I mean, you just try, but you're just not good looking. Like, I can't change history. I'm ugly. Okay, we agree. <laughs> I love this. You know, Abraham Lincoln was so ugly that when he was running for Senate, a 10-year-old girl met him on the, you know, where they shake hands. Greeter line. And she said, like only a child can do, Mr. Lincoln, you're so ugly that if I were you, I'd grow a beard and cover up your face. True story. And he did. His own testimony. He had a disease. Have you, you ever seen pictures of Abraham Lincoln? The reason why his, he has a real kind of bony looking face that sticks out here and here, because he had a bone disease that affected his the ends of his, of his bones. I, I don't remember what the name of the disease is. So he was really, really kind of gnarly looking and ugly. So it's just like a, a young girl say, Mr. Lincoln, you are so ugly. You should grow a beard and cover up your face. So he did. And you know, he's always rated the number one or two president in all of American history. And he was ugly. I'm pointing out that no matter what your weakness is, God wants to use you. I'll just give one more. Maybe you're like emotionally challenged. You're a little like up and down, a little bipolarish. I can't change history, I'm not stable. You ever heard of Winston Churchill? Winston Churchill had what he called his black dog. His black dog wasn't a pet. It was his depression. We, we went to his house, Danny Silk and I and Sherry. He wasn't there. <laughs> but uh, the tour guide, uh, a lady, she knew all about Winston Churchill. And I love Winston Churchill. Written, read, read things about him and uh, books about him. I love Winston Churchill. Uh, shifted history, by the way. If you don't know about Winston Churchill, Winston Her Churchill shifted modern history. I mean, we are here today because of Winston Churchill. It's the truth. We have freedom in America and Western Europe because of Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill was so depressed that he literally, his wife had to station people with him 24 hours a day for a solid year because he was suicidal. He learned art. His wife said, you need to learn, you need a hobby to help you out of depression. So they got a famous artist to teach him. And the artist said, she hated teaching Winston. He doesn't listen. <laughs> So he fired her after like a few months. And you can tell by his artwork. But uh, 
Not the greatest artist, but his, he's got a barn full of arts, probably worth millions. But my point is, is that he had serious problems with depression. Uh, many historians say Winston Churchill was mentally ill through the whole Second War when he was leading, actually leading. He was struggling, really, really dark, dark times with depression. And yet God used him powerfully, powerfully. I love Churchill specifically because he was so broken and God used him so much. Do you know Abraham Lincoln had two nervous breakdowns? I look, because I've had two nervous breakdowns. I look at guys like that and I go, those people give me hope. These guys that struggle with emotional issues and God still use them, I look at me, God can use them, he can use me too. There's something about, are you with me? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'm getting almost done here. Maybe think you're too old. You know Colonel Sanders? Started Kentucky Fried Chicken when he was 65. I love this quote. Uh, it, it's a story about uh, President Reagan. And it said, At 73 years old, the oldest president in U.S. history... President Ronald Reagan, in a debate with Senator Mondale for the second presidential term, was asked if age was an issue in his ability to perform his duties as president. He responded, I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit my political, for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. You know, when the, in, in uh, Acts chapter 2, where it says, In the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Um, I don't think it just means go to sleep and dream a dream. Because I think that's been happening. I think that happens whether the Holy Spirit's moving powerfully or not. People have dreams. I think he means that old men begin to dream again. They lose that. You know, as you get older, I'll, 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 I'll put it like this. I have 10 grandkids. I got two of them that want to be in business. They're like, I'm going to start a business, and I'm going to be a millionaire. And I'll say it exactly like that. And i am been in business. And sometimes... Something comes up in me, and I want to say, yeah, probably that's not going to happen. <laughs> and it almost feels like old men, old women, take this cynical role of, don't get your hopes up too high, because you're just going to get crashed to the ground, and probably you're going to go broke. And something happens when the Holy Spirit's moving, in this case an old man, but I think it happens in everyone, but I think Joel's pointing out, and Peter's repeating it, that old men begin to dream again. They say to young men, you need to start a business. You're going to be a billionaire. <laughs> you know, I'm being funny, but my point is, is that they lose that kind of cynical, like, 
Let me tell you, see all these, look, let, me, let me show the scar I got here from the last time I tried that. Like you just lose that and you're just like, something about faith overcomes you and you just have this deep sense that we're in the 401st year and what I lived in isn't what you're gonna live in. I'm in, the, I'm in the first day of 52 days of Nehemiah and I'm like, you should go for it. You should build that freaking wall. You're gonna succeed. There's something that happens in you. Are you with me? That you just go, you're right. Let's, and you just lose the cynical thing because you're in a Kairos moment. And that thing that is partly good, it's partly good, it's, it's the wisdom, partly good, or you're just kind of like, okay, well, let me, let me temper you a little bit with some wisdom. You even lose that, and you're like, I am with you. Can the Lord save by many or, or not by few? Can the Lord save by few, not by? Can the Lord save by Can the Lord save by many, but not by few? And you're like, it takes many. Just go for it, man. I'm with you. And I feel like old men are losing their cynicalness in this moment. This last three years, I can feel it myself. I'm like, we just got to go for it. Like, this never worked before. But we didn't live in this season before. Are you with me? We didn't have all the conditions that we have right now. We are being pushed into a corner, and we're like the skinny kid who's like, I'm tired of the bully beating my butt. I'm not doing this anymore. Something's happening. In, I'm saying that God inspired. You know, you can get mad and you get beat up again. <laughs> Trust me, I've tried that. I mean, just courage without wisdom doesn't work. But when God calls you to be courageous, when God stirs up that holy dissatisfaction slash hope, something in you goes, we got to do this. Live or die. We got to do this. And I feel like we're in this moment in history. I feel so much. It's a kind of like Mordecai and Esther moment, isn't it? When everything has shifted against the Israelites and Esther is in the palace, kind of sipping suds with the king, totally isolated, Kardashian lifestyle, <laughs> totally isolated from the pressures of what's happening to her own people. And finally, Mordecai makes his way into the courts. And he rips his clothes, pours dirt on his head right outside the palace. Think about it. You're on the White House lawn. Your uncle. You know, you're, you're in the White House and your uncle's out on the lawn ripping his clothes. Pouring dirt on his head and yelling Christian obscenities. And her first response as she looks out the castle wall, huh, what is that noise? Oh, it's your Uncle Mordecai. Here, 
Send him some new clothes. She sends him clothes to put on. She's like, tone it down. You're embarrassing the family name. And the servant comes out with some nice clothes, like as if he's ripping them because he didn't like them. (laughs) And he says, you tell Esther. You tell Esther that if she doesn't stand up right now, we are all going to die. Tell her that. Tell her that these are desperate times. And she and our household, she and our household are all going to die. Send that message to her. And here's her clothes. She comes back. What's going on? And he begins to tell her, recount to her what he knows. And he says, famous line, right? What if you attain royalty for a time like this? In other words, what if this is the Kairos moment? That divine favor in you met divine opportunity. What if God set this up? What if he did? And you remember her response. You fast for seven days. My maidens were fast. And I'll go to the king. And if I die, I die. This is that desperate hope. She's desperate, but she's hopeful. And of course, if you don't know the end of that story, she shifts history. The king extends the scepter. She's able to tell the king what Haman is doing Haman ends up hanging on his own gallows that he built for Mordecai. And, sh- and history is shifted. And what I'm getting at is, we're in an Esther moment. We've been here for a few years. Be careful that you... <laughs> be careful that the people that are creating the tipping points, you don't... You don't condemn the people who are creating tipping points because they're not the kind of people you would choose. Because they're probably saving your butt. Are you with me? I'm telling you, when people got desperate enough, it's funny because if you know about Churchill, they voted him in, he saves the day, then they get tired of him (laughs) because of his antics. And they vote them out, and things get bad, and they vote them back in again. Do you, you know? It's like, oh, things are good. We don't, we don't need that. All of that. We don't need all of that. Oh, maybe we do need all of that. Do you, you know what I'm saying? And so sometimes we think, like, if God raises someone up, it's going to be this perfect person. No. No. That, that doesn't happen hardly ever except for Jesus. <laughs> except for Jesus. Why don't you stand? I keep giving these messages because I think it's important. 
My favorite quote in this season has been for the last four years. Eric Hoffer, he said, In times of change, learners inherit the earth, while the learned find themselves beautifully prepared for a world that no longer exists. This is not your father's Oldsmobile, as we say in the business. It means, uh, never mind. All the older people are like, Oldsmobile? What's an Oldsmobile? I want to pray for us. And here's the one thing, the one ingredient I feel like we all need, and I include myself. Courage. I, 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 I know I was being funny, right? About being dumb, ugly, all that. Just trying to like say, it doesn't matter who you are. God made you that way. I, I mean, listen, if you have character issues, that's another message. And we should deal with them. It doesn't let us off the hook for having bad character. Let me be really clear. I'm simply saying that weakness is humanity. And God wants to use you to shift history, no matter where you are in life. So I want you to just put your hand on your heart and just say, God, give me boldness. Say it out loud. God, give me boldness. Give me courage and give me wisdom. Let's just do it one more time. God, give me boldness. Give me wisdom and give me courage. In Jesus' name. Yeah, just stay there for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray for people who are watching my Bethel TV, people here in the congregation, that you just begin to inspire us. I pray that we'd have like a Rosa Parks moment. We'd have a, what do you want me to shift? Some of you, you're, you know, you're like, what's my New Year's resolution? I, I don't know if we need a resolution. We just need a revolution. Like, I, I feel like we just need to step in to the places that we've been afraid of. And for you, you're like, maybe you changing, maybe the part of the world you're changing is your family. Maybe your family. Maybe your family's not been, uh, you know, uh, healthy. Uh, 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 connections aren't good. Your relationship with your spouse is not good. Your kids. And maybe your Rosa Parks moment is, I'm going to step in, I'm going to stop being afraid, and I'm going to ask God for a strategy, and I'm going to have a healthy family. It may take me two years. It might take me five years. But I'm going to start the movement right now. And it's going to begin by me asking God, God, how do you see this person? How do you see, maybe I need to forgive. You know, you know, it's you and God. But whatever it is that you've given up on, okay, my family's just not good. It's like, no, no, step in and say, this is not, not on my shift. I'm going to have a good family. Maybe your kids are on drugs. And you're like, your Rosa Parks moment is, You've given up, and it's like, don't give up. Maybe you need to just go into their room and anoint their pillow with, you know, pillow with oil, or just do something crazy. <laughs> they come home and they're being the oil. Like, <laughs> what is that, Crisco? <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe you just need to do something, and say this is going to change, and twenty and and 2020 is about you making a small step forward 
and saying, I, I'm going to have a healthy family or I'm going to die. <laughs> but I'm not living like this anymore. And, and maybe you're part of the problem. Maybe I'm part of the problem. I'm saying, it's, you get me. Maybe you're uh, addicted to porn or something. And it's like, I've been addicted for 15 years, but not a 16th. But not a 16th. You know why? Because you're better than that. Because you're better than that. Because you have a God who's able to deliver you. It doesn't feel true. It is. It's true. There are hundreds of thousands of testimonies of people breaking addictions, porn addictions, drug addictions. I'm simply saying, you can because God's with you. Will it be easy? If it was easy, you would have already done it. But it doesn't mean it's not possible. In fact, it's possible. And I'm saying, this is your year to say, I'm going to get clean. And not only am I going to get clean, but I'm going to be like Josiah. I'm starting me a new legacy. I don't know what it is God's put in your way. But I read this quote. I, think, I, I don't think I'll get it exactly right. He said, if you see a Goliath, know there's a David inside. You got a Goliath in your, in your life? You got a David inside. So, Lord, I just pray right now. And I prophesy over every congregate here, over people who are watching. If you watch this, it's because God told you to. And I prophesy extraordinary courage. I prophesy hope over you that when you hear these words, something's going to come alive in you, and you're going to say, he's talking to me. You're going to say, he's talking to my husband. He's talking to my children. And Lord, I pray that you would break unhealthy cycles that have been going on in our life forever. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up cultural architects among us. And they would be the John the Baptist of our day. And they would turn us back to morality. They would turn us back, they would turn us back to sanity. Lord, that you would shift the school systems. Come on, help me. That you would shift the school systems back to morality in Jesus' name. That you would break the cycle 50-year cycle of immorality in our country, and that there would be righteous John the Baptist, there would be righteous Esthers who stand up and say, this is enough on my shift, this is not happening anymore. And Lord, I pray that, that wickedness would no longer be in vogue, in Jesus' name. That there would be a righteous movement. Isaiah 62 says something powerful. <laughs> On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. All day and all night. They never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, give him no rest. And take no rest for yourself until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. How many know we want Israel, Jerusalem to be, but how many know you're also the new Jerusalem? And God wants you to be a praise in the earth. A city on a hill. A, a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. And Lord, we just release that right now. In Jesus' name. If you're in here tonight and you don't know Jesus, or maybe you walked away, I just want to challenge you right now. God's giving you the courage right now to take a stand, to change your life. I feel like somebody in here, maybe someone will watch this, but I feel like you've told the Lord five times, if you get me out of this situation, I'll follow you. But you haven't followed. I remember my mother was healed of psoriasis that covered her body. I said out loud at 15, God, if you heal my mother, I'll find out who you are because I wasn't raised to be a Christian. I'll find out who you are and I'll serve you the rest of my life. An audible voice said, my name is Jesus Christ. You have what you requested. <laughs> the next morning, my mother was completely healed of psoriasis. It's completely gone. 
But the voice came back a week later. He said, my name is Jesus Christ. Now that the pressure's off, you said that if I healed your mother, you'd serve me, and I'm waiting. People are in this room like that. You've made promises to God, but you haven't kept them. But God's kept his. And he wants your life. And if that's you, I'd like you just to raise your hand right now. I don't want anybody to close your eyes. Like you need courage to follow God. If that's you, would you raise your hand? If that's why you have your hand up? I just bless you right now in Jesus' name. Is that why you have your hand up? I bless you too in Jesus' name. There's more to come. Just a second. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, I bless you in Jesus' name. I bless you in Jesus' name. <clears throat> you know, somebody once said, you know, if you were born into fire, smoke will never do. And I feel like the people that raised their hands tonight, you're born in an extraordinary time. Like you are, following, you are asking Jesus into your life in an extraordinary time, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to create extraordinary miracles in your life. Would you just, would you, the four of you, I don't know, if anyone else, yeah, you too? Come on up here, Tom. You guys come and talk to them. Please come up here. We want to, I just want to pray for you right now. I feel like there's people watching from Bethel TV. You, just, you need to stand up, but you also need to call the most spiritual person you know and say, I'm asking Jesus into my life. Would you pray with me right now? I feel like you need connection. Like God wants to bring connection to you. Please come up. It takes courage, I know, but please come up. We want to celebrate you. Yes. Thank you. <clears throat> It's awesome. So good. Yep. Hey, before you guys talk to him, can you, can you guys look at me that you're just asking? I feel something special on all of you. Like, I feel like you, you're receiving Jesus, and a couple of you have before followed Jesus, but this is extraordinary for you tonight because you were born, like, you're, you're not just being saved, you're actually being drafted into an, the army of God. And I feel like the Lord is doing something powerful in you tonight, I feel like the Holy Spirit's going to overcome you and, and some things are going to come off of you that have been happening, uh, uh, not just addictions, but also intense fear, anxiety, panic attacks, depression. I feel like the Lord is going to do a, a sovereign move as they pray for you tonight. And I just want to say welcome to the family of God. Can you just bless them, please? Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog, or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.